1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: Welcome to the Part-Time Outdoors Podcast, hosted by Matt Noss and Nate Wright.
3: Welcome back guys. Part-time outdoors here. This is Nate. Um, this is going to be episode three. I uh, want to go over here and touch base with Matt on who we have coming on.
2: What's up guys. This is Matt Noss here. Episode three. Didn't think I'd see it, but, uh, here we are. We got Chris Lance coming on today via telephone. Chris reached out to me on Instagram after I followed his page. I think it was last year, two years ago, Mountain State Waterfowl. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Ended up hanging out with them, doing some hunting with his dog, Striker, awesome gun dog, awesome versatile dog, and we are kind of going over what to do the topic on for this episode, and we kind of came up with versatile gun dogs, and he's probably the best versatile gun dog that I know, uh, so it was a no brainer just going with Chris for this episode. So,
3: yeah, that makes sense. I've never seen a lad point at a uh, upland bird, so but... I would
2: I was skeptical at first as well.
3: I mean, I'm kind of upset right now looking at Matt over there. He's got a uh, part-time outdoors hat on, and he says that I have one, but he forgot it again, so I don't know if I should believe him or not.
2: As long as I didn't forget anything bigger than that, we will be good today.
3: Yep. So, well, I'm really
2: looking forward to this. All right, so we'll go ahead and give Chris a call and uh, get the episode rolling.
1: What's going on, buddy?
2: Chris, what's up man? How's you how you doing?
1: I'm doing well yourself. Oh,
2: you know, I'm doing good. Sorry we're a little bit late living up to our name today. Nate worked a uh a night shift and then he worked all day after his night shift at his other job and then we just rolled through the door, so uh we're ready to go.
1: Yeah,
3: ready fired up, ready to get this going and uh talk to you. Hey
1: Nate, how are you doing?
3: Oh, not too bad. I heard a lot of good things about you from Matt, so really looking forward to this. I lied well, a good lot. Deal.
1: You you lied <laughs> you lied a lot. <laughs> All right. Well, but, Nate and Matt Matt's told me a lot about you and hopefully we can get out this year and do a little bit of a little bit of hunting together.
3: No doubt. I, I enjoy watching your uh your chocolate lab and all that good stuff.
1: He's not a chocolate lab <laughs> oh. <but. laughs>
2: Black Lab.
3: Black Lab, sorry.
1: I get him mixed I'll up. Fight you over, I'll <laughs> fight you over that one, mate.
2: Oh, the first punch has been thrown. So we'll go ahead and get started here. Uh our guest today, Chris Lance. He's the co founder of Mountain State Waterfowl they have a Instagram page with great content and then you guys also have a YouTube page with lots of cool videos I've enjoyed watching that so the main topic of discussion today that we're going to talk about is versatile gun dogs Chris has an awesome dog his name's Striker and I've personally seen him work and he is a true personal or versatile he's personal too versatile gun dog so Chris if you just want to go ahead and just take us through and tell us uh what you think of versatile gundog is and tell us a little about yourself and striker.
1: Oh, uh, sure thing, man. I, first of all, appreciate you guys having me on the podcast today. I know you guys are doing a lot of great things on one, uh, on your end. Uh, Matt's hunted with striker. Did you hunt with striker one time last year? I believe. We, yeah. One we time. Hunted, we, hunted, we hunted pheasants with them. Yeah. It was about and, like uh, 10 degrees. <laughs> oh yeah. It was free. Yeah. Freezing cold snow everywhere and i remember the the first the first time you saw him we were having the conversation about hunting with a black lab and you weren't too sure about it because you come from the world of german short hair pointers right. more more traditional upland dogs yeah and it, it actually a, made
2: me nervous cuz i i've heard horror stories about flushing dogs running into pointers and having them put down and when when he told me he's like no my dog's not like that and I was like well yeah we'll see we'll test it out and see how he does I was I was
1: shocked when I
2: hunted with Striker I
1: was shocked yes yes Striker Striker comes from a unique line of of Labs he will and Matt could attest to this he will actually point uh, it, wow. it's not it's not the really pretty traditional point that you would see out of a German Shorthaired Pointer, an English Pointer, a Griffon, or something like that. Uh, Stryker will get very, very burry, and that's something with me working with him a lot. I can tell when he's getting on a bird, and he's very good on whistle command. I can woe him or I can whistle sit him, and uh, there's actually a really cool video on our Instagram page of Stryker sitting and just staring at a pheasant on a farm hunt that was maybe two feet in front of a mat and uh it's a it's a very very unique bloodline uh his his bloodline comes from a kennel out on the western side of dayton called blazing red uh blazing red gun dogs blazing red kennels uh his Father and his grandfather came out of that kennel and he was bred. His mother is a black lab that was owned by a friend of mine that's why he's black and he's not the traditional fox red color of that kennel, but they pride themselves there in pointing labs and i I've, I've seen multiple dogs out of that, out of that kennel work and it's a it's a very very unique trait within labs
3: uh Chris uh you know as far as you know obviously obviously the bloodline has a huge impact on the dog that you get. Um, going out of that, you know, as far as like training, how did you break it down, separate the two as far as the upland versus, you know, the waterfowl type? Um, you know, how did you, as far as, you know, start from scratch with your, with striker?
1: So I've had striker since he was eight weeks old. I've actually been handling him since he was two weeks old. Uh, two of my very good friends, one has his mother, one has his father. So as soon as the puppies were old enough to be handled, uh, to be uh, picked up from the from the mother, I was over at my friend's house two or three nights a week. Uh, had Striker picked out from two weeks old. I've had him since he was eight weeks old. Uh, my my opinion is that any any retriever training, any dog training in general, the foundation of that is basic obedience. Uh, Stryker has been in basic obedience class since he was maybe 10 or 12 weeks old. We went through canine good behavior, canine good citizen, things like that. We learned the basics and I, I did the basics with him up until he was about 7 months old, right when his adult teeth came in. He actually went to Blazing Red Kennel for 4 months and they did a phenomenal job working him with upland. They force fetched him. They introduced him to live birds. Introduced him to gunfire. When I got him back, he was 11 months old, and he had never been on waterfowl. Okay. So he was uh, he was a functioning upland dog at that time. Okay. Uh, through through age, through experience, uh, he had a. Had a few bad hunts, but with a puppy, that's going to happen. Uh, he's really refined himself with with Upland. And towards the end of last season, being his first waterfowl season, and then through this summer with what I've seen him do on field work, uh, at two and a half, he's really coming into his own with waterfowl. Uh, the biggest challenge coming between the two, honestly, was the patient side of waterfowl because you guys know with with upland dogs you're constantly on the move you can say that like
2: 10 more times to me
0: (laughs) and my
1: dogs (laughs) they're constantly constantly moving and uh, last season about this time when we went on our first keel hunt it was uh, it was a very trying experience to get him to stay in a blind and stay still while we were watching duck decoys that has been a uh, nightly training exercise. I uh, actually set up a Mo marsh lab in my living room and would make him place in it while I ate dinner every night. I mean, we, we, we really had to hammer that home, and learning that patient side of it was the hard part. Now, once birds hit the ground, it's really no different than when you shoot a pheasant. I mean, you shoot a goose, you shoot a duck. They're going after they're going after feathers after the gunshot. They don't really know the difference past that point. But the the patience aspect of it was definitely hard.
2: That's that's a good point that you brought up at the beginning of that. Um, that a lot of people don't understand as well. When you're getting a gun dog, one of the keys is you get it earlier than you would normally get uh, a regular dog. Now there's a lot of back and forth between that with. Well, they need they need their mother and all that, but if you get it a, a week or two weeks earlier than you would get a normal dog, that puppy becomes less dependent on its mom and more dependent on you. And just those two three weeks makes a huge difference throughout its life because that dog grows up knowing you grows up being dependent on you. So that was that's a good point that
1: you brought her up up earlier. Absolutely, I, I would agree with that. That bonding phase in the first three or four months is so critical to a gun dog. I mean, I, we, we all know guys that have gone out and spent an exuberant amount of money on a finished gun dog, and there's, there's things to be said for that because obviously professionals can train better than, than any of us. However, you're missing that bonding stage when that dog's eight, nine weeks old, even three or four months old. You're missing that bonding stage where they become very, very close to you and that relationship with your dog will carry on through life in the field. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. And I like how you, like you said, you got to like set a foundation almost as far as when it comes to just the obedience side of things, you're not even really messing with the gun dog side of things. It's more on the basics and then all the other kind of falls in place.
2: Yep. And I kind of wrote a definition in my mind of what earlier I was just sitting down, jotting down some notes. And you were talking about the bond between the dog and that's one part where, uh, there seems to be a huge divide in the gun world. Some half the half of the gun dog people say you treat them like a gun dog. The other half are like, no, they're our family. So when I think of a versatile gun dog, I think it's a multifaceted dog that can, it's like a control switch. It can go one, flip one, switch one. You're running 10 miles. You're trying to find pheasants, You're trying to find grass. Boom, turn that switch off, switch two. Okay, now I need you to sit in a blind for three hours. Switch three, turn that off, and now I need you to lay in bed and go to sleep with me and cuddle me all night. That's just how I am. There and my dog, for whatever reason, GSPs do this when they sleep with you. They put their butt in your face the whole night, and I wish there was a switch to turn that off because he passes gas like you wouldn't believe.
1: Yeah, I mean, Stryker <laughs> Striker will will lay it will lay on my feet, lay at the foot of the bed all night. I mean, he he cannot be far away from me. He's actually he's right beside me right now in my office while I'm talking to you. Uh, I have all my things out to do dove hunting this evening, and he nice. knows that, so he's a, he's a little bit, <laughs> he's a little bit excited. Uh, I've hunted with guys who treat their dog like family. I'm one of those people that treats my dog like family. I mean, Striker goes anywhere he can with me. He's with me all the time. I've also hunted with professional guides who treat their dogs as a tool no different than you would a four-wheeler or a shotgun. Right, And you'll get results both ways. My personal opinion on the matter is a gun dog that is your best friend will do things that that dog that lives in a kennel and is treated like a tool won't. Very because true. both dogs will go the extra mile out of fear. But it's a little bit different fear, in my opinion. The woman's treated like a tool is afraid of repercussions. They're afraid of getting screened at. Guys who will phys- will become physical with their dogs. I don't advocate that at all. I'm very against that. But we've all seen it in the yeah, gun dog world. However, that dog that's your best friend, Striker, will do things for me because he's afraid of disappointment. He's right. afraid of dis. He's afraid of disappointing me that I, I, he's not going to get that bird. That's a little bit different. Fear that goes into into love. They want to please their owner. They, they they don't want you to be disappointed.
2: I feel like that goes far in life in general. I mean, you're on a football team, baseball team. You have a coach that that you 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 bought into the system. You believe in the system. You don't want to disappoint him. I mean, you're gonna run you're gonna run through a brick wall. Versus if you know he just yells at you and you have no relationship with your coach, you're you know you're not gonna do as well. So that's a good point.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, one of the one of the hardest hunts I've been on with strikers, I did two and a half days of public land pheasant hunting in northern Pennsylvania. I tracked him on his Garmin collar. He did twenty eight miles in that stretch. They're oh, not yeah. going to do that. They yeah, there's they're smelling birds. There's some instinct there. They're going to keep pushing because I want to keep pushing. I want to keep going and there's there's no quit in them absolutely absolutely
3: so Chris um how many uh days a year are you as far as on upland waterfowl you've mentioned dove you know how many days a year are, on average do you think you're you know getting out there
1: uh, well it really depends on uh really depends on work and school schedule I work full-time and I'm pursuing my master's right now so I will get out as much as I can i Last fall and winter, I hunted probably 30 days okay. uh, combined. Uh, I, I hunt any chance I get. Like I mentioned, I'm going to go out for a few hours this evening and try to hunt doves. Uh, as far as what I hunt, I'm very opportunistic on what's available, who wants to go. I'm up for anything. Uh, absolute favorite thing to do. I like I like to hunt ducks. Uh, I, I love watching ducks decoy. I love watching uh, especially especially wood ducks and mallards cup into the cup into decoys. Uh with that being said, two or three times a year I'll get out with with the guys from Mountain State waterfowl and we'll do a big field hunt for geese. Uh if, if you've never experienced that and you watch a couple dozen geese Walk up and come in the decoys and six guys cut loose on them. It's fun.
2: I watched your video uh, of that on YouTube. It was very, yeah. very
1: cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that is that's a little bit of chaos that can get uh, that can get a little interesting from time to time. Uh, striker handles it fairly well. Uh, that's my only issue with him right now is sometimes when they chaotic situations, he'll want to break. But uh, actually, I'm starting him on the uh, gun dog tether system that a lot of guys are going to this year for the goose for the for the goose field. Uh, what did you, you say it was? Uh, it's a product by Gun Dog Supply. Uh, Russell Ramsey's been advocating for it on his podcast and in his Instagram page. It's basically a Tether that's a leash with a string attached to it. It's got a buckle. Uh, it prevents them from breaking out in front of gunfire uh, in goose hunting situations. Oh, interesting. I'm, I uh, uh, yeah, that's a uh, lot of guys. Even even guys are going to them as a as a safety feature. Because even your be- your best gun dogs are going to make mistakes from time to time.
2: I feel like that's one of the industries that's breaking out a lot whether it's archery gun dogs uh what have you is game retrieval because there's all these animal rights groups out there that are you know how they are and there's certain hunters unfortunately that you know they'll shoot things and they'll look for two minutes and if they can't find them they'll just let them go so that's another thing about versatile gun dogs is probably one of the most important things is one that can retrieve the
1: game that you shoot well that's something that uh Coming from the waterfowl world, guys that have been around your traditional retrievers, when they hunt with striker, at first they don't understand what he's doing because your traditional retriever, you line them on that that far cripple, they're going to run as hard and fast as they can until you give them that whistle stop, give them back, give them over wherever they they need to go. Striker will run... 50-60 50-60 yards at a time and then he'll stop and look at me almost asking if he needs to keep going and then once he gets to a point you'll watch him start to quarter and start to sniff with his nose to the ground just like he's hunting pheasants. and it's it's different than what you would see your traditional retriever do but we have recovered a lot of birds that we probably wouldn't have recovered with with a traditional retriever because he has that off instinct to work an entire area and really use his nose to find birds instead of being a visual right visual retreat. And it's the game recovery with him is is very good.
2: Yeah, that's uh that's one of the big things too that starting out, I didn't know everyone gets their first bird dog. They put the the feather on the string, and they they get their first point, and f- you know that's okay. The first time you do it once, and you put it away because that's one of the big things. These dogs will start getting used to using their eyes instead of their nose, and they'll start trying to see the game. And there's nothing more important than a dog's nose. So that, that's definitely a good point,
3: Chris. I want yeah, to touch. That's- go ahead, sorry.
1: Go 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 ahead,
3: Nick. Go ahead. Uh, no, I just was going to touch base on like you know as far as the Ducks Unlimited. Um, I know Matt was saying you were involved with it. And I want to kind of touch base with that is, you know, what, you know, your role as far as Ducks Unlimited and what you guys are trying to do down there and stuff.
1: Okay. So Ducks Unlimited in West Virginia is a, it's a smaller group. Uh, we don't have the, the sheer numbers of waterfowl hunters that some of our neighboring states like Maryland or Ohio mm-hmm. have just because we are not in a, not in a major flyway. Uh, most of your most of your chapters are either along the Ohio River or in the eastern Panhandle uh, I'm one of the founding members of the uh, middle island chapter which is a chapter we just started this this year and we encompass Parkersburg st Mary's Tyler County area uh, we have, we have members from about from about three different counties uh, we're we're a small chapter right now, but we have we have some very good chapters uh, around us. The, the Huntington chapter is very active, very very well run chapter. Uh, one of our uh, members of Mountain State Waterfowl is the state chairman for Ducks Unlimited, so we have a very good resource there. He's he's obviously a member of our of our chapter as well, being being down here, so. Trying to get off the ground, trying to get some more members. Uh, we're planning a banquet right now. It looks like it's going to be in February. Uh, there's some There were some scheduling conflicts we were going to try to get in before duck season. But at this point, uh, that's logistically not going to happen. So we're aiming to do our first banquet right after the 21-22 season.
3: Okay. Okay. Well, um, you mentioned Flyway. Uh, touch base on that, on your thoughts on that. You know what I mean? Like, obviously you have more opportunity, I guess I would say when you're in a, you know, a flyway zone and everything, you know, but there's a lot of people that get discouraged when they say, oh, West Virginia does a fly zone. It's not much of a waterfowl state, you know, kind of touch base on that as far as what you think, you know, it's kind of getting out there using your resources, really, you know, putting in the work as far as finding the right place to, you know, hunt.
1: Finding the right place to hunt is key. I hunt mostly public land. Uh, I hunt the the wildlife management areas that our state DNR has provided for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goose hunts you see on our on our YouTube channel that's that's a that's a private piece of property okay. that that the group has access to. But anything else you've seen, uh, especially the solo hunts with me are a public land area either in West Virginia or in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh I, that's something that I try to pride myself on is anybody can go out and hunt the same areas that I do. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that people get discouraged in around here is they see what goes on in in, in other states and where social media, podcast, Instagram are great because they've brought so many hunters together and we, we have a way to communicate. Where it's discouraging is when you see the guys in Missouri and Arkansas and Kansas and all these states go out and they shoot two dozen greenheads in a day. And that just doesn't happen here. I yeah. mean if I if if I go out and I shoot my two two mallard limit it's been a great day. I mean, phenomenal day. Absolutely. Uh, all last year on ducks, I was part of a two-man limit one time. That was the opening week last year. I was part of a two-man limit once. Uh, other than that, we shot a lot of. You know, three or four of us go out and we each shoot one or two ducks. Now,
3: and you're still happy with that kind of day, honestly.
1: I'm still happy with that kind of day. I enjoy getting out. I enjoy being part of the conservation effort. I enjoy being part of the resource. I believe if you're going out just to shoot, and it's you're in it for the wrong reasons.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, you touched on the public land. You know, as far as like, what's your process as far as breaking it down? You know, do you use OnX or are you doing more of like, you know, boots on the ground type of thing? Uh, you know, where did you begin as far as? finding your public land spots. I'm not asking for your spots, but, you know, as far as for know, listeners, not, for them to go out there and, you know, they want to get out there. What's,
2: you know, if, the process? If you want to send me some spots on the side, though, I'll take those.
1: <laughs> Matt, Matt, I've already told you, I'm going to take you to a couple. I'm going, I'm, I'm going to blindfold you for the trip now, but I'm going to take you to a couple of spots, y'all. Whenever, whenever we're far away from the truck, you can take the blindfold Just, just kidnap anybody. me. I'm fine with that. <laughs> uh, the... The public land areas in in West Virginia. I mean, anybody can go on, on the NNRs website and look and see what they what's what's available, and that's really where I started. And I use One X to take a large piece of property, a large public land area, and I start to break it down into areas of interest. Mm-hmm. So most of my scouting starts in July and August. Uh, especially in areas that I've never been to. And what I'm doing is I'm out walking them and I'm looking for access. Like, okay, if I'm going to hunt this backwater, if I'm going to hunt this marsh like, How am I going to get in there? How am I going to set up? What's it going to look like? And trying to visualize, especially what's it's going to look like when the first frost hits and a lot of that aquatic vegetation, the big out of the water vegetation starts to die off. Mm-hmm. What is this going to look like for me? And then a lot of my scouting is done on the fly in the middle of the season. And that's something uh, that's something that I think deer hunters, uh, some upland hunters, uh, guys that aren't in the waterfowl community don't understand its waterfowl move a lot, and it's a very dynamic hunting season. You're dealing with a migratory mode. Yeah. So, there's a lot of days that when I hunt, I'm going to hunt till, from daylight to like 10 o'clock in the morning, and then I'm driving around, walking around these large areas with a spotting scope and binoculars, and I'm looking for birds, and I'm trying to take very detailed notes on, okay, it's 11 o'clock in the morning, and I they're on this pond, okay, they're on this, so where's the logical place that they came from, where's the logical place they're going to next and I'm trying to put the put the puzzle together. Yeah. Now where it becomes very difficult is you go back next week, those birds may not be there anymore. So you're trying to constantly go on the most recent information.
0: Okay. And
1: there have been times and I will do it again where I have hunted uh, green bottom wildlife management area in Huntington. And I have driven the Ohio River all the way to New Martinsville, looking, looking for those.
3: So let me let me uh, give you a scenario here. So let's just say, Chris, you uh, you finish up a morning. It's ten thirty. You're walking around, and uh, you know you're on some public land. I guess I would say. And you're so oh, I'm gonna go over here and check this marsh out. And you do spot some ducks. Um, what's your game plan from there? Where are you doing? Are you are you trying to hunt them today? Are you trying to hunt them tomorrow? you know what as far as uc ducks it's a new area where do you go from there
1: where i'm going from there is ideally i'd like to come back in the, the next morning i mean that's why my i will actually hunt a little bit shorter day on saturday Okay, uh, being the you know typical guy, I have the I have the weekend, you know, part time outdoorsman. I have the, <laughs> I have the I have the weekend to hunt. So I will actually hunt a little bit less on Saturday, and I will go drive and I will scout Saturday midday because those ducks, obviously, wherever they are midday is where they want to be for the day. They came they they came there to loaf. They came there to feed. And that's where I'm gonna set up the next day because that's clearly where a duck wants to be. I mean you can you can decoy them, you can call them while they're passing overhead and that's sometimes successful, but it's tremendously more productive to decoy them and call them into somewhere they already want to be. Yeah.
2: Uh, that's what me me and Nate are uh world class callers for, for ducks. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, we won't uh, go down that. Road.
2: We do pretty good calling crows then. Yeah, <laughs>
1: it's, it's a lot of crows.
2: They're like something dead over yes. here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, you got you guys. Uh, I, I hear guys like you on the public marshes all the time. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I mean, I w- I will say this on the air because I know that people can't help themselves when you put duck calls around their neck. I try not to call. Yeah. I would rather I would rather just be quiet, run some motion decoys because. Everybody out there has bought seven different duck calls and they don't know how to use any of them. And they wear them around. They wear them around their neck. Guilty. And
0: and I and I'm
1: not gonna claim. I'm not gonna tell you. I'm um, I'm a good duck caller. I, I am average on a good day. And I I've learned to shut up because when you hear everybody highballing at every pond on the public marsh, those ducks figure out real quick yep. what's going on.
2: Yep, expect, especially after a couple weeks into the season too. I mean, they get smart fast.
1: Absolutely, right they do. Absolutely, yeah. That's uh, that's my goal then. Figure out where the ducks want to be, and uh, I like being mobile. Uh, I try to carry as little gear as possible. I run as small of decoy spreads as possible, and I will I will outwalk a lot of hunters and get back into areas that a lot of hunters won't go. Right. There. right.
3: I wish I could so, say that about decoys because I feel like Matt piled on like piles of decoys for me to carry in last year. Yeah.
2: Uh, you carried them in? Yeah. I so. <laughs> I'll remember that. <laughs> so you you—that's uh, you were talking about goals. So I think that's, that's one thing that's good for hunters each season to kind of establish at the start of your season or what are your goals? I try to always at least have two. That way when I accomplish one, I'm not like, okay, what's now? So uh Chris, give me two goals that you have for this season. It can be waterfowl, it can be hunting, whatever, uh, and then we'll give you ours.
1: Well, one of my goals I've had for a while is actually upland. Uh I want to Don't say West Virginia
2: I, grouse. Don't say I it. want
1: I, I I will not say West Virginia grouse. I want to I want to harvest a grouse somewhere in this country with my dog. <laughs>
3: Matt Matt still doesn't believe me, but I've ran into a few actually.
2: They were they were woodcock. <laughs> so that's uh. Hey, you got one more
1: goal. Um. Uh, really, just keep keep developing striker. Uh, he did really really well last year. Uh. See what see what he can do. See what he can do this year. Uh. And just meet as many people as I can in the in the. Hunting, hunting community. I guess uh, that, that's something else that I try to do. Uh, anytime I'm on public land, I'm, I'm really not bashful about talking to people in parking lots, talking to people at the DNR station. Uh, I've met some really good friends that way, uh, reaching out to people on Instagram. That's how Matt and I yeah. met, met each other. <laughs> that's how we met. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, uh, little things that you hope happen. Uh, I did not shoot a banded, banded duck last year. You're taking there's, there's all really, my goals.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's really,
1: there's really nothing you can do on that one. Uh, I did, uh, it was a team effort from Mountainer from mountain state waterfowl. So we don't really know who was the official one to harvest it, but we did, we did get a canvas back on the Ohio river last year. They pay, uh,
2: they pay out for that, like 20 bucks or something.
1: No, no, it's actually in my freezer right now. It needs to go to tax it, it, it need, it bill, it's still in my freezer. Uh, but that was, no, uh, I mean, the
2: band, I mean, the band, though, that they, they pay, they pay usually for those, don't they? Like 20 bucks.
1: Some of uh, there are, there are cash bands out there. Uh, those are really rare. Uh, uh there you. are, there are cash bands. Well,
2: then I'm switching my goal to cash band. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I, I did not, uh, I did not shoot a shoot a banded duck last year. I'm really really hoping to do that. Gotcha. Uh, no, I just wanna I just want to get out as much as possible, see some country. Yeah,
2: my so my two goals are you kind of already stole it a little bit, but I would like to shoot not just shoot a West Virginia grouse, but have a solid point, a solid hold, a solid flush, and a solid retrieve to hand West Virginia grouse. That is goal one. I had almost that last year. I had one solid point in West Virginia on a grouse. He held. I went in, could not get a decent shot off. I didn't even shoot. Uh, I've kind of regretted it, but also, you know, as few as they are, I don't want to make a bad shot. So that would be my first goal. My second goal is a little off, but um, I, if I can, I would like to get Nate to post half his much about part-time outdoors as he does Drake songs. And that would be my second goal.
3: <laughs> you know, he really had to try to throw me under the bus here. Wow. I, I mean, seriously. But uh, Matt obviously has really thought these uh, goals through. I,
2: I just came up with that.
3: Um, but I would probably have to say goals for me would be to knock some birds. And I have a chocolate lab as well named Jeter, named after Derek Jeter um would like to get him involved in because he has been out in some treacherous conditions with me and matt and just looks at us like come on guys you guys need to figure it out (laughs) so um definitely that would probably be some goals for me as far as on the waterfowl side yep um as far as you know now touching on the temperatures and stuff like that with the what are your thoughts on like you know duck you know, duck hunting and the you know the the weather obviously the worse it is the, the better duck hunting it seems like um
1: that's that's a hundred percent true. I mean I'm the I'm the guy in the middle of winter praying for snow and ice and horrid, horrid conditions. So, uh,
3: so let me talk to you about your dog. So I have some listeners here probably that get upset about me because you know how we talk about our dogs are family. <laughs> um they get upset with me when I take my dog out into these conditions. Um, you know, he has a vest and everything like that, um, you know. So what are your thoughts on as far as, you know, dog care, temperatures? What are your experiences as far as with that?
1: My experience uh, coming from the lab side, the labs having the thick double coats where the DSPs aren't quite as thick, don't have quite the fur. I think the labs do handle the cold better than better than the, the better than the GSPs do just from the way they're built, what they were bred for. Yeah. That's not a not not a knock on the GSPs, just not what they were bred to handle. A oh, Jeter uh, has, a, uh I think has four layers. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, well Striker Stryker's a little bit too skinny. You've seen him in yeah. action. He's actually a little lean. Yep. But uh I worry more about my dog on Hot hunts, like it's almost eighty degrees down here right now, and we're getting ready to go dove hunting. I worry more about him tonight than I will in late season when it's when it's cold. Uh, the heat, I think, is definitely more of a, more of an issue with them. Now, when it comes to the cold, uh, I run a vest on Striker. I run a Rigam rights bloodline vest uh i do a full review on that on our youtube channel if anybody wants to check that out i'm gonna give my shameless plug for that one uh <laughs> i'm gonna check it out
3: actually because he's in store for a new vest so actually I'm going yeah to-
1: I, I i mean uh i will tell you right now i've had him out in freezing snowy icy conditions i've had him in the water in single digits and when we get back to the truck, I can take my hand and it's a very tight fit, but I can get my hand up under his vest or take the vest off and where the vest was is dry and warm.
2: I will say for, so I, I did research extensively. I'm in a little bit different situation and anyone with the GSP is as well, because just the way they're built, they're real skinny at the neck, big barrel chest. So I did get a Momarsh, one of the versatile Momarsh vests because you can actually fit it two size like it's all velcro it's strong velcro but uh i did put that on him the other night and it, it fits like a glove the Rogum rights i really wanted to i almost bought that i did um but just because of the way that miles is built uh, is the reason i went with the uh, versatile movar so i'll, I'll have to keep you posted on how that goes
1: which that's that's a very good point. When you're looking at waterfowl vests, these companies are gonna cut them to a lab because yeah. most of your waterfowl hunters are gonna run a lab or mm-hmm. a Chesapeake. Yeah, uh, I think it, I think if you have a GSP, then the the Mo Marsh vest is is something to to consider. I run a vest on him in upland season as well. Uh, I have a orange chest protector uh from hilson and it's held up remarkably well to everything we've thrown at it uh chest hasn't gotten cut cut up nothing nothing like that and i feel a little bit better having that high visibility on him whenever we're out hunting especially on public land uh one thing i do when it's really cold out is i always make sure that i treat his pads uh yeah um, absolutely i bought it tough I, paul or, right. tough paul uh next vet makes one mushers Mus,
2: Musher, see i was trying to think of the name I, I, that's why i used a lot of that great success with mushers
1: yeah yeah mushers works really well uh i bought the next vet World King uh it's worked really really well just something to put put that waxy uh barrier on his on his pads, uh, especially when you're in the snow and ice.
2: You mentioned the visibility. The that's one thing about the Momarsh, which I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know when I bought it, but and I said I would not buy anything else and I'm (laughs) I'm sticking to it. But you can get um because it the Momarsh versatile ones all versatile and velcro you can actually take off the camo pads on it and they make bright orange pads that you can put on it so you buy one vest and you can get two different colored pads which i thought was pretty cool but i'm I'm not going to buy it i, <laughs> yeah, no. I don't believe you i know how this works i will not spend another dime this season
1: we we all say that and that that never uh that never tends to work out yeah. too well so well we won't
3: We won't keep you too long. I know you're trying to get out and get some uh, doves knocked. Um, But, Chris, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, you know, spending some knowledge here towards us. Uh, You know, we all need to get together, that's for sure. Uh, Me and Matt have been talking about that and need to get together and hunt. And even if we got to meet halfway or, you know, we have an idea, um, definitely be nice to get together in person and, you know, maybe try to uh, knock some waterfowl or some upland or
2: something like that. For sure. And I know you're probably shooting your boss ammo out there. I got boss coming tomorrow, so uh, good luck with your doves today. And I uh, hope you're taking Striker with you.
1: Oh yeah, Striker Striker's going. We're going to get him out in the field a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully knock a couple of doves down. Let him get some get some feathers in his mouth again before season. But uh yeah, as soon as the as soon as the ducks start flying, guys, I. Uh, I, I will go anywhere within three states to hunt birds. So you just tell me when and where, and I'll and I will be there with with dog and shotgun. You
2: got it. <laughs> Sounds like a plan to me. You got it. Hey, uh, thanks, Chris. We appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Hey,
1: thanks for having me, guys. Right. Yeah.
2: And that's Chris Lance, uh, co-founder of Mountain State Waterfowl.
1: life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6'8 Western.
0: I'll be over there, baby. Right there.
1: Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.